Hello and welcome back to Free Wheeling at your movie watching podcast with your two friends. I'm one of the two friends, Jesse, and with me today, as always, is the other friend, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hello, Matthew here. And uh, Jesse, it's been a while. I've missed you. I'm so glad we to be talking about a movie with you uh, on one of the final days of 2023. And uh, as, I'm, exci- as I'm of uh our methodology of doing these these shows um i forgot to record on the master so we had to do the intro twice i mean yeah yeah but that's you know if we were professional we would be being um, paid to do this we'd have sponsors maybe or at least we'd have or at least like we'd be better at it at the yeah. very least that'd be true um, i would not have to but, edit that, but but this is why you know i confine my talents to being an x-ray tech (laughs) because at least at least i can consistently you know do that on schedule for the most part at least we hope yeah i mean well like being in in neuro neuro interventional radiology a lot of the lack a lot of the schedule problems don't fall at my feet so it's cool. Um, so, so we just had Christmas. Yeah. The major holidays are now over. We're about to jump into the new year by the, in a couple days. You know, we're, the ball's about to drop on the giant reset button that starts the calendar back over. Jesse, how, how, how was your, how was your Christmas? Um, it was long. Wow. Yeah. That's a response <laughs> I've not heard this week. If it, it felt oh, like, no- I felt like it went kind of forever and like just energy draining. Yeah. Yeah. How, how about you? So I'm going to sort of, uh, wow. Uh, I don't know what that was. Um, I'm going to sort of come out of a closet here. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. For, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. Um, this is, first time i've ever really said this on a podcast i don't really celebrate christmas anymore i, I think um, that's fine that's no, yeah like I, I mean i'm not really gonna go into why because i think this is i think it's sort of everybody's journey unto themselves but this is the first year that i've started telling people that like i i just don't celebrate it it's not like for religious reasons it's not for um anti-commercial reasons it's not for the leftist reasons that i try to live my my life by now um but we so my partner is jewish and her mother like her father is was born and raised jewish her mother converted to judaism when she married her father so like half of her family still celebrates Christmas. So they, they always invite us over and this is the first time we got to bring Aton with us. Uh, and he had an absolute ball. He seemed to get along with my cousin or Reba's cousins, I call them my cousins cause married. Um, but it was like at some point during this gathering, someone said, so what's your deal? Like, do you celebrate Christmas? I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? Do I celebrate? Like, they're like, you're not Jewish, are you? And I'm like, I said, 
is that a problem? <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, okay, no, I'm not Jewish, but I don't celebrate Christmas. They're like, oh, what do you celebrate? I go, I don't celebrate anything. And they're like, why? I go, that's not something I'm going to talk about at this family gathering, but yeah. um, I'm not like, I, I participate because the act of people celebrating Christmas doesn't bother me if people tell me merry christmas i i won't i won't say no because i'm not that's not who i am um but this is this is the first year i like stood up in the middle of a room and sort of explained that to people and they were like a lot of people looked at me pretty dumbfoundedly but that's okay uh i don't expect everybody to understand and i don't care if they do uh but that was uh that was kind of i i kind of felt stronger about it this year because i was saying it to people and so so that happened um but you know apart from apart from that i did participate in our in our in their pollyanna that they do and uh that was fine uh aton in true baby fashion got uh more presents than a nine-month-old would ever know what to do with and was absolutely fascinated by the bags and the boxes. Didn't care about the toys at all. That's how it goes. I mean, it, 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 it means like a cat. Like you get them, a, you get them. A, it's like a cat or a dog. You get them a nice toy and they're just like, yeah, just give me that box. That box pretty cool. Um, we, uh, Reba did get him or no, it, Reba did not get him this. Someone else at this gathering got this. It got him a nice uh, dreidel because we are going to raise him Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I'm going to start learning those traditions as he grows up, because I'm not as familiar as I could be. Um, but he got a nice little wooden dreidel and that was, it was cool to sort of prep like a little Hanukkah pack for him to have as he grows up. And I'm, I'm actually really excited for that. Uh, Unlike unlike you saying the holiday was long, the holiday was way way too short, and I barely remember it. You're you're you need especially with your job, you need a longer I think time off. <laughs> well, it, it's it's it stinks because like the, well, so before we get into our wonderful movie that we have to talk about, yes, um, uh. I was thinking about this like on my way home from work tonight, like, man, 2023 has been absolutely packed for me. And I don't think it's going to slow down for a very long time anymore. (laughs) Reba and I became parents in, in March. And uh, shortly after that, I decided to, I'm like, what would happen if I just started applying to jobs? And then I ended up in uh, a dream job that I never really knew I had. And it became one of the hardest things I've ever had to do um, career wise ever. And yeah. I, I don't know how I've managed. I do. I, I do. And I've been, we've been pretty fortunate because like Reba's not necessarily had to go back to her job yet she hasn't had she hasn't had to rush back to work and i'm very thankful that i've been able to sort of provide that for her uh and 
watching Aton go from zero to nine months and change has been absolutely wild. Uh, kids are kids are crazy, and um, and then there's like other there's other like sort of family things that have happened over the course of the year that have been kind of hard. Um, but I'm gonna save that for. I'll save that for the therapist. That uh, you don't need. You don't need any that, Jesse. I mean, you never know. <laughs> sure, maybe, maybe, maybe off pod, but but uh, it's 2023 has been wild for me, and I I know it's been challenge. It seems like it's been a challenge for you as well, but if you no, but it's definitely been like a, a more um exciting year, at least for you. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like I'm, I, 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 I've been kind of, I've inherently, I'm kind of a, a of a of a sad boy, but like I've never not been able to sort of look at the bright side. Um, yeah, but I, I think that this is, despite like the challenge and the difficulty of this year, like I'm pretty happy with how it came about. Um. Yeah. And we're still doing this show. We are. We didn't let it die. We did not. We I think I think personal I think personal stuff tried to get the better of us, but we but we persevered and I'm very I'm very thankful for that. So um, th- this episode we're talking about a kind of special animated movie which maybe we'll tie in wrap around to what we've been watching at the end. But um we are talking about Lupin the 3rd, The Castle of Cagliostro. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie directed uh, initial the first movie directed by Hayao Miyazaki yeah. uh, came out in 1979. Um, it's as Lupin, old as I am. Jeez. Oh, that's pretty nuts. Um, Lupin the Third is a manga manga created by the manga Monkey Punch, who is no longer with us, but is kind of legendary yeah. for mm-hmm. this character and other things. Um. What what do we? It was, how do we based, it was based on. It was based on originally the the Arsene Lupin. Yeah, the French isn't it French story. I think it's French. Arso, it's it would be Lupin then. I think, um, but I think that was a novel early in the twentieth century. Maybe I don't have all of that info in front of me because I am. See, this is why I'm not a professional podcaster. I have I can't prep before the show. Yeah, we're um, no, I mean, we're no blank check. We don't have anybody, we don't have sure. people hired to give yeah. us big old essays of information. Right. And, and, and time is always, you know, funny. But, yeah. um, but this manga started in 1967 and it was based on grandson of fictional gentleman thief arsene lupin and it doesn't say when it came out so uh, i will click a link in 1923 so he's featured yeah. in 17 to 30, 39 17 and wait a minute in 17 novels and 39 novellas by leblanc um and it was originally published in 1923. Or wait, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. 1905. So Lupin is almost 120 years old at this point. 
but uh, I was looking at so we watched this on Amazon if I remember correctly or at least I watched this on Amazon and the trivia um, was ta- was talking the trivia that goes along with Amazon was talking about how Monkey Punch like was never really worried about copyright infringement mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember the exact thing and I'd have to queue up the movie in order to, to find it but um, apparently that was a thing that sort of followed this a long way yeah I I, uh, I maybe watched it in um, not the most technically legal sense ooh okay uh, for anybody who's listening to this show, uh, don't be narcs, but it is on the Internet Archive. The dub is. Oh, OK. And I was just kind of like, I don't I didn't really feel like paying three dollars at the moment. So I was like, oh, let me just let me just see if it's on Internet Archive. Internet Archive has been really nice for some movies I've been trying to watch that are just hard to come across. Yeah. Um, and every once in a while you get one of these nuggets. Um, but yeah, I think uh for me I, this is the most this is the only loop uh lupon thing i've watched i've been mm-hmm. meaning to watch the whole anime but it's a lot um I yeah I, I think i have it on my watch list on high dive right now yeah and uh, like i have not started it i haven't watched the live action adaption i heard is really good that's on netflix of yeah. the of the original story um mm-hmm. but i've seen this movie once before when i was doing a miyazaki watch through and I gotta say, you don't really need to know much going into it, and it and it's uh, it really stands on its own, which is nice. Yeah, like I I I mean I'd known of Lupin just because of a looking at the I being in the abnormal mapping uh, community on Discord. Yeah, they it it's come up several times either in their books channel or talking about the anime. Um, so I've always, I've looked into it and then said, huh, that seems like it might be cool, but none of it ever sort of stayed with me. And what I loved about this is like, um, this, it kind of, it kind of plays like an Indiana Jones movie where the characters themselves don't get like a wild backstory, but you kind through, cinematic touches and choices in dialogue and and mannerisms you you sort of figure out who they are pretty quickly yeah i i feel like for this movie it does the service and i think there's i feel like miyazaki movies for the most part do this because it's the way he animates mm-hmm. too um which is like kind of and it's, it's and it's how classic movies used to be animated for um for like classic Disney movies and stuff. It's like animation first story, second kind of vibe. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, he only puts backstories in if it's, if it's interesting animated wise, mm-hmm. um, he never really cares about it. You don't really need to know anything about these characters. He'll fill in details here and there, but it's very loose yeah. um, with that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm wondering if this was made under the same method or if he was required to have the script written beforehand. It says he wrote the script, so I'm guessing it's the similar thing where he just storyboarded it out and then figured out the story as he was going. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think why why I like that too is like you from the, even the op- the opening bit you get everything you need to know, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thesis <laughs> of this movie is right casino. up front. Like, yeah. It's is, 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 is a casino they're robbing, right? Yes, a government sponsored casino, and then yeah. It, 
if anybody out there has ever played persona 5 kind of opens the same way it's real weird <laughs> um with the exception of the uh the 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 metaverse that happens in persona but um but yeah lupon and jigen are hopping in the getaway car that is packed to the brim with money and then i can't tell how lupon figures it out uh, it's the money like flies in his face for a second while he's yeah, driving. He like he like just looks at it, or it almost yeah. seems like he sniffs it and just like, oh, this is fake. Yeah, and then he starts laughing about it. He's like, well, all this effort for all this fake money, mm-hmm. and they just start letting it fly out after that. He's like, um, yeah, this this has to be the greatest copyright job in the world, which means it's a job worthy of my talent. Dump the money. We're <laughs> we're gonna go find this, take it over, and be and and just be rich yeah and then they figure out somehow that it's happening in cagliostro um so and which is like a i don't think that's a real place I'm it's not sure. i don't i'm yeah. almost positive it's not so made up country basically and they're like let's go figure out what's going on there um i'm gonna like really like crazily sum up this movie they save a princess who's being attacked Lupin notices the ring um, that she has that notifies that she's a princess. um, Mm -hmm. She's bound to be married to the Count of Cagliostro. Yes. Um, Lupin, through a lot of shenanigans, gets inside the castle, finds like the the Count's been doing all the counterfeit money, and he's sitting all across the world. Uh, Different Mm -hmm. counterfeit money everywhere for everybody. It's very high, high tech. And this has been like kind of like the operations for a lot of criminal organizations and things. Uh, yes. A shadow this empire ba- things. Yeah. This basically is the Illuminati right here. Yeah. That's kind of what, yeah. What they're pitching. And uh, if he marries the princess, he would just gain the whole power over Cagliostro, I believe. Um, what, what's, Oh no, yeah, no, there's, there's, like, there's, no there's, never mind. There's a treasure underneath. Yes. Ca- the ca- there's the a, castle. There's, a, there's the like a, the there's a prophecy and he's like, once the light, and shadow of Cagliostro are reunited like the the treasure or whatever will or will be revealed yeah and ends up being under like a lake near the castle yeah um i mean i'll spoil it because it doesn't it ultimately does not matter it's basically the lost city of atlantis yeah it's basically what they find and like uh lupin realizes that the princess doesn't want to marry the count of course um and i do you th- do you feel like Lupin is ever really in love with her, or is he like feigning love to get her on her side? Um, when you get the backstory, I feel like I think he just feels like he he needs to save her, and like the best way to do it is to get her to fall in love with him. I part of me doesn't even want to go that far. I feel like that's the that's the that's the conceit that would want that the makers would want the audience to feel because damsel. All yeah. of that, but ultimately, the way that Lupin directs his energy sort of around this plot, he's in it for the heist more than anything else, and it's not he's even in it like, for the thrill of getting yeah, getting like, he, over. like he, he like he does this like I would say a he the, he this is his this is like the way Michael Jordan made challenges he took he took things personally 
he made it personal so he would it, he would elevate himself like this is what he does this is what yeah. Lupin does he's like i see a th- i see a thing i see an object or i see a target how can i make this the most interesting experience for me so it'll keep me engaged and keep me focused um now i i also don't i don't think that as a character he is as dismissive to the princess as that because you get the backstory of him originally trying to go after the treasure of cagliostro and getting shot yeah and she kind of she kind of nurses him back down she hides him helps him and then you know jegan's like wait a minute you know everybody here how and you get that brief you know soliloquy about it but i don't think like i feel like she cared about him truly but he was always he was always in it for the work rather than the woman he's not i mean it's almost like james bond in a in a sense where the bond girl isn't the ultimate target for him yeah i i I still think like there's there's enough care in him to want to save her because he could just give up if it was just for the heist but i think there's enough care in that i I don't think yeah i don't think he's um he's not cold about it he's he's pretty warm i just i just think like what's what what is his idea of pretending to be in love with her because he's not he's not like in love with her at all but he's really during the first like few acts of the movie he's really turning up the charm to get her to fall in love with him Mm -hmm. and i think it's mostly just to get her to feel safe you're also given that like you're also i i mean i feel like misdirection is the wrong word but i when you originally see her in like the car chase and he's like oh let's save the girl yeah and well, at that point, I think he's just trying to get rich and like, sure, yeah, maybe she'll give us a reward type thing. Yeah, um, but once he realizes who she is, I think it's more like, what's the best way to get her on my, like, get her comfortable with my like idea of rescuing her, right? Yeah, um, that's just what, how I read it, but I, I totally can see it and just being a random thing he decided to do for fun in that moment. Um, sure. So he, yeah, well, so his main plan. Know, hang yeah. on, hang on, before you go any further, maybe. I don't really think he tried to do it for fun. I think he was actually genuinely interested in where she fit in the puzzle. Or that too. Yeah. Like he just trying to puzzle out how to do this heist. And, the, and like, that was just part of his, like get her comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, um, we could figure, so we could figure out where all, where, like where all the angles are. Yeah. So he basically, after a lot of shenanigans in the castle, a lot of Scooby-Doo like shenanigans in the castle, Good Scooby Doo um, shenanigans, real he gets, good Scooby. He uh, gets Inspector Koichi to, who is the main like I think the main detective who's trying to capture Lupin all the time. I think um, in the dub it was Zenigata. Oh, I'm just reading the like the first name is Koichi, last name is Zenigata. So yeah, I think Zenigata oh, okay. is technically like yeah. the way to say it in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he gets Zenigata to be there. Zenigata like hey figures out this guy's counterfeiting money. Lupin figure this out um goes to tell the like what the council of like the basically 
what is what is it? The UN like, essentially. Yeah, basically the UN. Like, hey, this guy's counterfeiting money for all of your countries. Like, he's a massive criminal mastermind here. And they're like, see, the problem is he's helping us catch smaller criminals with that. So we kind of already knew, but you don't have hard proof. So we're just going to kick you out and you're off the case. Yeah. Like we see what you're saying, but like he's greasing our wheels and, yeah. and we kind of like it. So, uh, bye. So after a near death, uh, escape from the castle and the, the, um, count Lupin recovers and decides one final plan to save the princess. And to do that, mm-hmm. he he also gets uh, Ishikawa. Is that that is that no uh, Fujikawa? No, I, Ishikawa or Fujikawa? Wait, 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 who are you talking about? The which, samurai. Which oh, Goemon. One? Oh, sorry, Goemon. See, mm-hmm. that's the, I'm reading, I'm reading the name, and then I'm following with with a uh, Zinkatsu. Uh, and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll go that way then again. And no, nope, Goemon is how they say it in the movie. Yeah. Um, and he also has uh okay who's his other partner i want to let you say the name because you remember the names in the movie better than i do. so there's 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 jigen yes jigen who's the guy with the fedora the guy with the fedora perpetually over his eyes yeah and then there's fujiko as well but we meet her later yeah so he gets uh uh jigen and going on to help him do this one mm-hmm. final heist and he also yeah, Fujiko um, also is like she's also there kind of to do a heist of her own to try to get one over on Lupin and uh, that doesn't work either so she also helps with the final plan to kind of help uh, Zingata mm-hmm. film the proof on live TV so they can catch the count on that end and the UN can't the fake UN can't really do anything about it but the ends of the final a really great final battle in uh a clock tower with yes with lupin and the count and the count i think maybe gets the most brutal death in any miyazaki movie it's still off screen 100 like he gets crushed between the small and the big the, hand yeah the yeah he gets crushed between the hands of a clock and that's it's pretty intense what a metaphor no um yeah, it's it's super intense, but one of the things I like about how everything sort of comes together at the end, everybody like Lupin, Zenigata, Jigen, Goemon, Fujiko, all of them have this this like ride delivery about their situation where they are all friends. Yeah. Like regardless, like there's a there's a point where um, where Zenigata and Clarice are like it's the last time they talk, and he's like, "Well, I gotta I gotta go after Lupin," and she's like, "But he but he helped you expose the international criminal." He's like, "Yeah, but he's a thief. He got away with something, right?" Yeah, and then she sort of takes a beat, and he and he like goes, "See, he stole your heart." winks and then runs yeah i like so that that's, it, that's literally the only thing lupin leaves with is like yeah. her love where fujiko yeah. leaves with literally the plates from the printing press yeah fujiko leaves a criminal 100 percent, and all of them are just like there's like a certain like we don't exist without each other yeah and you know i i i i 
if there was ever a cop that I was saddened that ACAB includes, I think it's Zenigata right now because he's he seems to be such a wonderful character. Like, if anything, if anything, this movie did it made me want to know more about it made me want to experience more lupin so we made it we may have to we may have to look at more films so so get yeah there'll be there's plenty of lupin films so oh yeah at one point we can get to it yeah the great lupin project um oh man don't even tempt me i'm trying to figure (laughs) out what my challenge for next year is gonna be resolution time uh but this when i i so you remember how we were you were talking earlier about pay about the the price of it on amazon prime i ended up i ended up renting this yeah three times because the first two times i tried it i fell asleep um and i was worried that it just i was going to be able to get through it fine be able to talk about it briefly but ultimately it wouldn't grab me because i kept falling asleep and there the one of the times that i fell asleep i I wasn't super tired but i was tired enough but when i we had there we had we had a a day with like no cases and since we're all paid by the hour we have to stay there so i'm like i'm gonna go watch movies and uh so i did that and this was one of the this is it was one of the movies i watched it was the first one i watched and by the end of it i was like man i think i needed this in a way that i did not expect yeah how how did like how did it hit you in that way um because it was it's while the beginning is kind of like okay we got this cocky criminal thinks pretty highly of himself so of course he thinks he's the best so he's going to tackle the best thing i get it you're amazing but then after a while you're just like oh this is just a fun romp this is a fun romp of a heist film yeah it, um, it, honestly and i think and like the scooby-doo-ness of it without being hokey or um i mean it didn't feel played out you know Yeah, that makes any sense. It was one of those things like, yeah, I've seen all of this before other places done to varying degrees of better and worse. But this this felt just good and air. I mean, it was almost like when when I when we watched Baby Boom for me, I know you didn't really care about that movie. But um, but it was it was just a light and airy dessert of a film. Yeah, there's a, there's there's I think there's two different types of Miyazaki movies for me when it mm-hmm. comes to like his filmography. Sure. Um, and that is like one is heavy. He, he's trying to process something within his life mm-hmm. type of movie, which I think is the the more of the majority of a lot of the movies. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. But I think the second half of it is the idea of wonder, which I think this movie falls into. And the idea yeah. of the the sense of adventure you kind of have, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I I think like that's what I ended up with is like, man, I wish I could have an adventure with friends like this. Yeah, like now that you now that you brought it up that way, like this and Kiki's delivery service aren't that far apart. Yeah, 
like yeah like, and like porco rosa is, is in that in that realm yeah um ponyo like all of that yeah like there there are miyazaki would do this again i mean ultimately i think he would do it better later for sure yeah um because kiki's delivery service is just amazing if you haven't seen it um but this was it was just such a nice almost it was one of those things that just lifted weight off of me in a way that i didn't realize it could and watching these five friends just get into hijinks I and mean, it's it, it's it's really good it's it's really it's really fantastic is there any like stand-up moments you want to like focus in on i really liked the um i really liked how no one no one tr- none of his buddies trust lupin at all like that that scene where he sees fujiko for the first time and she and she's like i know why you're here you're here for the princess and he's like yeah you know where she is by chance if i and yeah she's over there in that tower uh but it'll be impossible for you to get in um and then he just bounces or no she says but please just let me do my own caper and he's like, fine, I'll stay out of your way. And then ultimately he doesn't. Yeah. But it get that scene in itself, and this is what I'm touching on, is it tells a story without necessarily having to tell a story. Yeah. Um, and I think that Miyazaki, if if since he wrote this he writes that very well multiple times in this film. Like you don't get a ton of everything goes back to this moment when these individuals met and decided to become criminals or whatever. You just get that. Like they've, they've, they've all crossed each other's paths. Like that's the, the opening. And you, this is the indication to the audience that shenanigans are going to ensue. And uh, and and it's it's done really well. And for being Miyazaki's first film, he already has a deaf storytelling touch. It's absolutely scary. Yeah, I think my, the thing I noticed in this watch through is just kind of how fluid his animation style already was. Which is kind of funny because I think about um, Castle in the Sky and... Uh, what's the other one of the early ones? Um, My neighbors, the Yamadas. No, no, that's not that's not him. Um, that's the other one. That's the oh, other that's guy. just that's just the Ghibli. That's just the Ghibli film. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking um the one Castle about guy. Um, not Earthsea, is it? No, it's it's. Oh gosh, I feel really bad that I forgot the name of this already. But with those, those first two he did after this when he first like when Ghibli first opened, like I feel like they're they're even stiffer than this is somehow. And I think yeah. I wonder if that's budget constraints, just in general. Could be. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just there's there's a there's a level of electricness within the characters that you don't get in anime movies today, mm-hmm. at least Western anime movies today, unless they're two D animated or you have a nice kind of like 
mixed media style, which kind of helps give them that kind of feel. But the 3D animation just can't really connect with it because you know, like it's it's truly. Are you thinking of Nausicaa in the valley? Yeah, Nausicaa is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Okay. But it's true. I think it's truly that hand animation style where the hand is guiding the speed, right? Yeah. Versus like, yeah, you're still animating things on a computer, and it's it's still like I'm not trying to dog anybody's work, but it it is that kind of like automation processing of that animation that kind of doesn't ever really connect the same way. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like watching old cartoons. There's, there's a certain, there's something about seeing, seeing the flaws. Yeah. Or like, I think another, I think another fun example of this is action movies. Um, if you look at old action movies in any genre of action movies, like Western or Kung Fu or, Mm -hmm um just straight up like die hard right like just sure. those kind of action movies versus the modern ones that like don't not that they use nasty cgi but they use they do use a lot of cgi to cover up some of the more dangerous things yeah. and there's a loss of mobility because of that not that people should like put their lives on the line to make movies um sure. but you can feel the difference right like you know what i mean mm-hmm. oh yeah well i mean i think it's, there was something you've said and uh, on the show before where like you watch an MCU and everything becomes a rubber action figure where, yeah, there's a level of craft that gets lost kind of when you rely on the techniques of the computer that I don't know. I, I when you, when you see it, you go, man, now have we kind of lived without it for so long. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there are when, and that's not to say, that computer generated stuff is inherently all bad. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't, I don't think it is. I just think that you can, you could feel it as really what it is. Right. And I think, I mean, like th- speaking of that, like the only time I've ever felt like a fully computer, a fully computer generated like action film. That's not, you know, CGI animation or, or, dreamworks or pixar or anything like that was uh the movie sky captain in the world oh, of yeah. tomorrow like that was one of the ones like a buddy of mine um i think it might be that might have been jason who does our theme song uh w- like i went and saw it told him it was made he's like but it looks all done by computers i can't get behind that i'm and i just said you're not wrong However, I feel like this is sort of crossed that line to where it doesn't feel like dis- it doesn't feel like disconnected where you look at like the newer Star Star Wars trilogy and it looks like the actors don't even know where they're at. Yeah. Like it looks like they have absolutely no clue what is being projected around them and and no one cared to address that on set. Um, or like the, like the the biggest there's other major flaws with some of the prequels and I do like the prequels in their own ways, but like, sure. Same, same of, here. Same here. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest flaws though, especially as those movies go further along is it truly doesn't feel like the actors were, you can't, there's no, there's no weight to the actors in some of those set pieces. Yeah. Well, they, cause because they they're not feel, on a real environment. Yeah. They don't feel like they're in a place. They feel like they're in a void. I mean, I and, think that's the magic trick of Aquaman, right? Is somehow James Wan figured out how to do that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in a setting that truly they couldn't film in. 
Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, the, uh, hand animation, man. Something about it. It's, it's something about it. Like I haven't seen that new Miyazaki film that just came out, but I really want to specifically, specifically because I know that his animation will give me something that I don't really get most other places. Like, um, I'm trying to remember what the, well, there, there, was anim- there, there was an animated movie that came out last year. It was about a shell. I don't remember what it was. Oh, uh, Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Yes. Yes. That is one. That is one of those that felt this way. And I know that it's, I, I don't think it's like 100% stop motion, but it looks like it. Uh, but because it has that kind of could, could have been done by hand thing to it, it hits a little different. Yeah. I, I think there is, uh, um, I have seen the newest to Miyazaki movie and yeah, there's, there's CG in the movie just because like, I don't think you can make a fully hand animated movie in the major studio system today. I mean, not that, Ghibli's a major studio system is still independent, but right. He's he, they, they, he made that movie differently because he can't make it like he used to anymore because he has just gotten to that age. Sure. And I think in some ways that made that movie better, but it, 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 but what it didn't lose. And I think it's why he, he's built such a, a competent team in studio Ghibli is like, it didn't lose that, that feeling of connectedness mm-hmm. uh, of, of moving from one place to another. And these, and these, these things have weight to them. There is a scene, um, I won't give any context, I'll just kind of give the description of what happens. There's a scene when someone gets a head injury, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the blood that comes out of it, you're like, I, this is upsetting how much I can feel this on me. Um, or even like oh, a wow, movement okay. in the opening scene where he's moving and they waited to decide to animate the backgrounds to show movement and speed, or the the fierceness of the action that is happening. It's like, it's incredible. The kind of techniques that he's not him himself, he himself, but the animators he's let into his team and let them kind of, he's not as controlling on this film, let them um, kind of express that way. And I think it works really well for the movie. Nice. And I think that's what kind of what I want to tie back into is like, it's he's in his eighties now. Um, I think he's almost in his nineties. Probably eighty-two. Never mind. He's far away from his nineties, but he's in his eighties now. He he's talked about how he feels like he's near the end of his life. Um, sure. He, he didn't think this. He was going to make another movie. He he still is trying to make one more. Some are saying that's a Nazca sequel, which will be interesting if he does that. Um, hmm. but like it's he still has that feeling of I want the I want the viewer to leave this movie with more life in them than they did coming into it. And that's how I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of glad he still has that spirit in some ways. Yeah. And I know he's a cranky man, <laughs> um, but when it comes to the animation, he, he truly does have the feeling of like, this is animations to give life in a weird way. Sure. And I mean, let's be fair. When I reach 82, I will probably be a cranky man. I, I think he's been cranky for a lot longer than <laughs> his eighties. Oh yeah, probably. You know, yeah, yeah, he probably has, but that's okay. That well, yeah. no, it's not okay. But like, you know, I mean, as long as he's not mean about it, you can be cranky right. and not mean. Sure, 
Simplify sure. my earnest. Yeah. I mean, I'll bet you, I'll bet you there's not much difference between working with Miyazaki, uh, a filmmaker slash animator that is very good at what he does, knows what, knows what the people around him can and cannot do and knows what he wants. And if you fall short, he will let you hear about it. I'll bet you there's not much difference between him and some of the surgeons I have worked with in OR situations. Um, being an x-ray tech i'll bet you there's not much difference because surgeons when they're working can be absolute shit heels yeah i think um and also like who's to say the stories are exaggerated the man does not give interviews um the man it's very rarely do you get to see the inside of his life on his and and if he did would he actually say oh yeah i did that yeah exactly so i don't i don't know um that's a miyazaki original baby (laughs) i think i think yeah i think this movie is a movie you can just share with anybody and Mm -hmm. um you'll get you'll get like a nice fun cherished moment out of it yeah is there any kind of final thoughts we want to talk about in this movie before we kind of hop into what we've been watching I love Carl the dog. Oh, Carl the dog's pretty good. Anime dogs are real good. Uh, I also do want to do want to say that um, that dog I feel like would be acting way different if it was actually the age that you're sort of guessing in the film <laughs> because ten years for a dog is a long goddamn time. Yeah, but but yeah, Carl the dog rules. I, I truly just love how much they're all friends, even even if they are chasing each other from yeah. cop to criminal. Yeah, like, and I also love that um, each of them sort of looks at another in the in the crew and is like, "Oh, that's what he's gonna bring," because um, Lupin is the one that calls Zenigata to the scene. He says, "Oh yeah, I brought I, I brought him in as part of the plan because I know he's." I know he's not going to miss anything. And because he's not going to miss anything, if I see that he has seen something, I'll know to look for it or I'll yeah. know to look out for it. And, uh, and yeah, it's the, the interaction between these characters is wonderful. And for very little of it that you actually get, you feel the strong bonds and you feel the history without yeah. necessarily knowing it. I totally agree yeah. with that. Highly recommend Loop on the Third and the Castle of Cagliostro. Highly pretty recommend. Pretty dang it. good. Pretty, pretty. It was, it was real nice. Um. So, what you been watching, watching, Jesse? Oh, uh, you get to go first because you have stuff this time. Oh, okay. So I have seen. We watched Barbie. Oh, how'd you like it? Loved it. Barbie is is awesome um it's one of the it's so we've we found a night uh the past couple weeks where we could you know take them take them take a brief block of time and try and watch a movie so she's like you've wanted to see barbie since you know it came out and i'm like yeah she's like is it i think it's on streaming let's just let's 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 grab a couple beers and watch it tonight because there you go 
because Aton was up super early this morning, so he'll go to bed super early. And hopefully he'll just continue to sleep. And we watched it. Uh, I love that movie a lot. It might be my favorite that I've seen this year. Uh, I'm still, I want to watch it again because there's a whole lot to dig into. Yeah. Um, But I think, I I mean, now I want to watch Little Women even more because I still haven't seen it. Little Women's so good. Uh, This is the perfect season to watch it. Like, if you can make time this week, I've. I will, I, will, I will try my damnedest, but uh, but Gerwig is an absolute monster of a filmmaker and everything in this movie is I, I found myself just sort of nodding along like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 a real thing. <laughs> and it is so wild how much they sort of bring the fantasy of Barbie and point it at the world in allegory in very sharp pointed allegory. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's absolutely a wonderful film. Um, not so wonderful. Oppenheimer. You didn't like Oppenheimer. I, I, so Oppenheimer is not a bad movie. Yeah. Objectively not a bad movie. Yeah. Like this is like, I do. I like it. No, I thought Oppenheimer was absolutely dull the entire time oh man i was i was i was gripped to my seat now i don't know if it's because i dug far into that when i started learning about world war ii uh from that perspective but like i I found his story fascinating when i was in high school but yeah. the way that and now I think I think Oppenheimer has the potential to absolutely clean up award season. Oh, I think like, it probably has the best odds out of most. Like it, it, I mean, except for Barbie, I think it looks the best. Um, I think it's well shot. The performances, based on the work that they are given, everybody in that movie kind of hits. And they don't they don't hit lightly. Um, the I found myself really remembering. Um, I don't remember her first name, but the actress Pew. Oh, Florence Pew, who's yes. also in Greta Gerwig's Little Woman, and she's great. I mean, okay, now okay, so, okay. I'm gonna try and watch that this weekend. I will report back, Jesse. Um, but. Uh, but she, her performance was, is the thing that I remember the most other than the times where Christopher Nolan just seems to hold camera on an expression that Killian Murphy is giving for what seems like hours. Now, I think that the, I think the problem here is the Oppenheimer story is a really great one. Yeah. Um, I think the ups and downs of it worthy of exploration i think the way that it's tackled here it almost seems like christopher nolan is trying to say something about cancel culture i don't think so and it's now it a lot of this was a lot of this just sort of popped out at me, like towards the second half of the film. I'm like, 
wait a minute, are we really worried about this guy getting canceled? Like, are we like, is that what this is? Is that what he's afraid of? Because that's what McCarthyism really was. People try, try I mean, and you know, and that's what anybody decrying cancel culture today is talking about. Like you're taking their livelihood, but yeah, Oppenheimer, even though he did get blacklisted, his security clearance taken away, it didn't take, it, it took absolutely nothing from him. It maybe kept him from being richer. Oh no. No, uh, I, well, I mean, I'm not, this is not me trying to disagree with how you interpret it, but like, sure. for, for me, when it came off of, it mostly was like, it's the injustice that people in power can just pull on anybody, even the man who made the bomb. Right. Like, I feel like that's really what it came to me was like, not that we're trying to defend a man got canceled. Cause I don't think it tries to defend him as a person at all. Um, it, no, it, it, it really doesn't, but it's, it's but pointing it, out but that it shows that like, if you're not useful to the system, you're not really worth it. The, the, you're, they're they're going to, they're going to try to strip you of everything when you become, when you become the problem. Right. Right. And, and, and like, and I think that there's a way because like the, the things that kept the, the things that kept sticking out to me were when authority figures, predominantly like Matt Damon um, and his buddy who was played by Josh Hartnett, who I'm like, yeah, wow, Josh, Josh Hartnett doing real good work. Like that was, it was great to see him. I don't remember the last thing he was in except Sin City and josh harnett underused in things right like i I was thinking like here here, here's this guy doing great work um but like and every and everyone is saying you're you're hanging out with you're hanging out with the wrong people you're hanging out with the wrong people and he's doing the thing that most like these are my friends they're they're my friends they're not me um and the way that the dialogue in that film gestures towards all of that just absolutely is like, man, he's just, is Christopher Nolan afraid of getting canceled? What did Christopher Nolan do? Yeah. That he's, afra- that he's afraid of getting canceled. And all of that just sort of popped up to me. And maybe it's not against cancel culture on the whole. Um, but it's definitely like, look at all this great work I've done. I don't deserve this. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that especially since it's based off the biography, like there's a big, big portion of Oppenheimer's career, which is just like being stone, uh, stonewall like that. But sure. Um, I think the other thing too, that maybe, and I, and I think like, I don't know if this, you picked up on this, but it's definitely something I know for you in your personality. If you feel this at all, you kind of bounce off of it. Mm-hmm. It really does feel like no one being like, look guys, I can also make an adult movie. You know what I mean? Like it, it's him yeah. kind of proving that, like, hey guys, I know I can make the weird stuff, which is fun, but watch you yeah, make an the, actual cool adult movie. Yeah, but like also the the last thing the 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 thing that stuck in my craw the most was this felt like him trying to it felt like him trying to do a Spielberg impersonation. Yeah, I mean, kind of. And, I can see that. And while I while I do like Nolan's work, I think he's made some amazing films like he, he made pro- easily one of my f- and i don't really care for the superhero movies but batman returns still one of my favorite one of those in dark, dark knight or batman begins 
Oh, Batman Begins. I, I apologize. I mean, Batman um, Returns is the best Batman movie. Sure. Yes. And we, we've covered it on this show. Yeah. Yes. Um, Batman Returns lo- looms large in superhero movies. Uh, but Batman Begins is one of my favorites in that space. And Nolan has made some amazing films, but this felt like the most low rent Spielberg. I'm really good. It feels, I feel like he'll get a bunch of Academy Awards because that's what he was going for. Yeah. I mean, I hope than... he, I, I kind of either saying get actor or Nolan get director. And that's kind of it. Cause I think there's a, I think this is a very tight year. Sure. I mean, I don't think that I don't think Oppenheimer's is the best script of the year at all. No, I think like, there's much better scripts this year. I like, think it's a strong I, script, but I think there's much better scripts. But like, I think if I think if they adapted, maybe. Yeah, like, but also like, I think if they, um, there was a, there was a problem that Reba and I both had watching this movie is we kept on forgetting who people were. Because, oh, the, I, I feel like that's a common thing though with bio, biopics, at least for me, all the time it happens. Sure, but it was there was. I found myself thinking about, have you ever seen the movie JFK? Yes. I watched it this year and it was also very hard to keep track of what was happening. I was enthralled the whole time, but. And see, and I found myself thinking of that, but at least on some level, like if I didn't know them in their first scene, I knew them by the end of the movie. And there were so many people by the end of Oppenheimer. And I was like, wait, who were they again? What did they do? Wait. Yeah. And then it's like more than once in the second or in the final third of the movie, Reba and I are going, he's married to Emily Blunt, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and, we're, and we're like, this shouldn't be happening. Um, and, you know, Did you get, we, we're new uh, parents. Well, we're, we're new parents. We're tired. Could 100% be us. Not yeah. I mean, I, like, I was like stuck in the theater with no distractions. So like, it's different for sure too. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, Oppenheimer was ultimately very very dull for me. I did not I did not care for it at all. Um, the last thing I'm going to talk about, uh, you like the movie Parasite, right? I did, I did. I really enjoyed that movie. So I watched a movie called Saltburn. Oh, you watched Saltburn, my friend. Welcome to the Saltburn Club. I've seen it twice. That is Parasite for white people. It's the talented Mr. Ripley, but for Gen Z. See, I've never, so then it's just a Roman Polanski movie, Knife in the Water, because that's what Talented Mr. I haven't Ripley seen is. that one. But... <laughs> like, I think that's what the Talented Mr. Ripley is, I think. No, but I, you, saw, I could you could say Saltburn is like this year's Parasite, but, just not but as like, strong. Yeah, I mean, because I, like uh, a co-worker of mine was like, hey, have any of you heard of this movie? And she started talking about it. And when, when someone, I, I don't know my co-worker's movie tastes very well, I'm not going to pretend to. But when someone whose movie taste I don't know says, man, this movie's fucked up. I'm like, oh, I have to watch it now just to see what their definition of fucked up is. It's 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 definitely like the straight person's kind of <laughs> um, twisted, I guess, in some ways. Sure. And I'm sitting here going, I'm like I, at the end of it, because like there was a day where we had like no cases. So I watched the, I watched Cagliostro. Then I watched this. That is and a I'm like, weird double feature. I don't. <laughs> then I watched um, 
I watched After Trinity, which is a documentary about what Oppenheimer is, uh, which is way better than Oppenheimer. Um, go off, but, King. What? I said go off, King. <laughs> I love documentaries. But uh, I, wa- I, I watched that and I said, Nicolette, have you seen, have you heard of the movie Parasite? And she's like, no, I go, maybe you remember in like 2019, 2020, when a Korean movie won best picture and white people across the internet got mad because of a film in a foreign language won best picture. And, you know, it's just all you saw was cinema bros going with the Oscars. That's why we have the foreign language Oscar Oscar. So we don't have to pay attention to it. Um, I said, this is, this is essentially parasite except um, he set out to kill everybody. Yeah. Parasite. That family did not. Yeah. I, I think, I think the second viewing of Saltburn let it grow on me a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, well, I don't think, I don't think Saltburn's a bad movie. I thought I came away going, wow, that was really kind of wicked. And yeah, I think people they, are a little too mean on that movie. Yeah, like I think I think it's I mean, I understand that me saying what I said is very reductive and very pejorative. However, that is some of the that that is a great way to write that story. I think that final scene is one of the one of my top maybe top five favorite final scenes of movies this year. Wait, where he's dancing around the mansion? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. I, yeah, I mean, I was like, wow. They really just need did, to end with dancing. They they really just did risky business in 2023, didn't they? <laughs> and, and a little bit. Uh, what's that? Uh, what's the French movie? I watched this year too. Um, hold on, let me look it up real fast. It's um, it's about soldiers. Oh boy, I feel bad that I don't remember off the top of my head. French movie about soldiers. You're really narrowing it down. And like and like the the. Um, like the officer in charge is a bully and ends up killing and like because of his bullyish ways ends up killing one of the soldiers and he gets like discharged and I think he ends up killing himself at the end of the movie. It's a very famous French movie I watched by a very famous female French director. Oh gosh, what is the movie called? I te- I totally watched it this year. What the hell is this movie? Why do I think I've seen it now? Oh, you've definitely seen it because we've talked about it. Oh man, I'm look I'm looking hard as I can for it, but the problem is I don't use the typical posters on Letterboxd, so they all look weird. Oh okay. Oh boy. Anyways, keep talking about that movie while I think so, of this movie. So Saltburn is the thing, the scene that everyone seems to get fucked up about, which is when he follows um, Felix into the bathroom. I, I truly think the the grave scene is is worse. Sure, one hundred. I'm like I'm like I'm the like, grave scene no. is where people walked out of my second screening. Yeah, like people like you 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 that unnerved you, but the guy getting naked at the grave and doing what he did there like that. We're just we're just allowing that. Like you're cool with that. Cool. Okay. All right. I feel like your priorities are a little lopsided here. Um, I think that. And when I started talking about how much I liked the movie, everyone had questions for me. 
and everyone wanted specific answers about specific scenes. I'm like, but see, I think there's a way to convey obsession and desire that will leave very bad tastes in an audience's mouth. And I think that these scenes are ultimately that. Yeah. Like, and I feel like, I feel like the scene in the bathtub where he slurps, um, that is sort of the possibly looking for essence to sort of find a way to ingratiate himself to his prey. Like that's a very, very primal way about to go about it. But also I think these scenes are also played as sort of a visual metaphor for the audience. Whereas, um, like the scene by the grave is like, I almost feel like it's the director going to the, the director and the character Felix are having a conversation. And he's like, you think you're fucked now? Wait till I'm done. I mean, honestly, my understanding is that was the actor's instinct was to do that. And and even better. Like, yeah, like just, just, and, and, and like that's the beauty of art like you can look at this as a scene and be like oh man that he's just getting naked in the rain by a gravesite and thrust him towards it do we want to talk about this on face value or do we want to look deeper and see what a possible artistic meaning could be and yeah knowing... and, I, and i think read of it being vapid in the second half is fair too like it is kind of on the nose with a lot of its messaging and imagery Sure, sure, one hundred percent. And then, um, and I, I really loved the reveal. Yeah. The, prior to the dancing scene, I really thought that that was the most ingenious reveal for this movie. Yeah. Like I don't think that's something you could just. I don't think you could just insert that into any movie and have it ring quite as well. Also. Um, spoiler alert for Saltburn: When he pulls out her ET tube, they're not that long. No, but it did make it grosser, didn't it? Yeah, it does make it grosser. But like, I a, a nur- another nurse <laughs> at work, we're talking about, we're like, and and she looked at me. She's like, "You're an X-ray tech. You've seen, you've done portables for these for a lot. For there's no way that tube's that long, right?" I go, no. "Maybe they're long in 2006." No, because when you think about the distance, like if you, so, ET tubes, they have like we don't little, we don't have to get into they, full detail. There's a lot of actually. The, there's like a lot of like contextual inconsistencies with this movie. Sure, like, but like my the, understanding yeah, is, I actually like, know I actually know this and can explain it. It's not gross. They have the accordion part on there specifically mm-hmm. for maneuverability around the patient and around the bed because nurses have to maintain a patient even when they're in that state so they have to like lift them up for baths make sure to check for bed source things like that so that's why the accordion parts are there the accordion parts do not go into the patient like they came out of roseman pike in this movie <laughs> because unless he's been slowly shoving it further down her throat no because she's already she's already on a vent so all he has to do is really just disconnect that and she's gone fair 
there's 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 nothing bringing her back at that point the yank is 100 for cinematic effect and the fact that like that would be an og tube which would go to her stomach that's how long that thing was um and i know because i've seen them and i've watched them be put in (laughs) i i take x-rays of them all the time or at least i used to before i decided to do to do brain shit full time um but yeah so if anybody has any questions about that it's not that long by the way the movie i was trying to remember in the name of is beau travel travel oh beau travail I have yes. not seen that. We've talked about it because oh. of the sight and sound move. The sight and sound. Yeah, episode. it has it has an incredible end dance scene. Okay, so I gotta find a way to watch Bo Travail. I think it's on Criterion. I think you're fine. And Little Women. Before Little Women, I don't know if that's streaming anywhere. But if not, I can give you my. Uh... I'll figure. I'll will f- figure it out. Right. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Any other any other but, movies you want to spotlight? No, but I do want to spotlight a show. One of my favorite shows going right now, Letter Kenny, put out its final season. And after 12 seasons of that show, uh, it ended well, I think. I have some questions. I have some thoughts. Uh, so if anybody hears this and is a Letter Kenny fan, uh, hit me up because I, I i i need to get some things off my chest about this and uh but yeah that show that show was great it was one of my favorites it was a favorite between reba and i we watched every season together um and more people should watch it it's 12 seasons each season is like six or seven episodes uh it's from canada so it kind of works like the way British sitcoms do where there's six or seven episodes and not full 27 episode seasons. It's just kind of uh, nice. Yeah. It's breezy. It's kind of light. And uh, I think the, I think it's one of the funniest shows I've seen in a while. I've, a lot of people have said it kind of reminds them of either workaholics or trailer park boys. Uh, neither of which I've seen. Like I've seen I'm, episodes of work workaholics, but I've never seen. I've also seen neither one of those. I'm not a big comedy person. We've talked about it. Yeah, we don't. Well, I mean, look, look at the look at look at what we co- we don't really cover a ton of comedy here. And if we do, it's usually old, and those are the kinds that I like because I am. Yeah, old. yeah, but also like we we also try and point out their problems because some of it hasn't aged well. <laughs> I can't wait till we talk about Blazing Saddles. That'll be a fun episode. We need to get someone special on for that. Who wants? Let's put out the call. Who wants to talk yeah. about Blazing Saddles? Who wants to talk about Blazing Saddles? Uh, maybe I can get my friend Johnny to come on. Um, I do love that movie. That movie, I think that movie uh, is one of those few satire. I mean, it's been a minute since I've watched it with a full understanding of life. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it might be like near perfect satire still. Like it's aged really, really well, except that people don't understand it now. Oh, sure. I, I, people... I think the issue, I think the biggest issue with that movie is people are too dense to understand it in some ways. Yeah. No, I mean, like I've, I keep hearing, I hear people a generation ahead of me in life go keep they, they keep saying oh blazing saddles could never mean i'm like actually it could you could make that movie you, as you it's written. Make it today because gene wilder's dead well right 
Yeah, which like, are part of who wrote it. But like you, you could you could write that movie today as is, and it would be fine because yeah. it's pre- it's still presented perfectly. I it's, think I think I think the re- like on, but honestly, the only reason you couldn't make it today is because people would try to put too much meaning into it. Yeah. It would end up like, uh, like what's his name, um, the guy that did like "Don't Look Now" and stuff like that in Vice, um, Adam McKay. Is that it? Like it end up like his movies now, where he's like, "Oh, let me just just shove this message down as hard as like." Oh yeah, like um, comedy can come later. Yeah, where it's just it's more about hey, I have to get my agenda across, and well, then we'll throw some jokes in. Yeah. Um, There's a balance that Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor were able to do with that script that is pretty impeccable. Right. And I mean, that, that so many jokes in that still work today. And yep. I think most people say the white folks in the movie using the N word wouldn't go over well. I'm like, but Leonardo DiCaprio. I was like, yeah, look at Quentin Turn. I mean, yeah, they would be flack, but it would it like, yeah, people would then be like, watch the movie. <laughs> I mean, if like ultimately, Tropic Thunder, as problematic as that movie fucking that, is, yeah, that that's a movie that maybe couldn't be made today with the like, same. I don't think they actor. could. I don't think they could make that movie again. But also, it it struck a balance and walked a very, very fine tightrope and managed to finish okay. Excusable, yeah. no, but no, it finished but, okay. And I think the point it was trying to make is still interesting. 100%. Um, yeah, are, you could really, you could get people smarter than us in here to talk about why it doesn't work, and I would totally be willing to learn that yeah, um, because I haven't seen that movie since it came out, and I've not really cared enough to go back. Um, but like, Blazing Saddles is still hundred times better than Tropic Thunder. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think in general, like, just look at Mel Brooks's first movie for crying out loud, a Jewish man making the movie that is in like that is the producers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, the man knew what he was doing from the get go, and yeah. then it, it's when he decided he just wanted to make gags that his movies got a little worse. Sure, yeah, I mean, the, I still laugh, but like they're definitely the, not as they don't age as well. Like History of the World Part Two is it? It's fine at the beginning because you haven't been here for very long, but when it goes for six episodes, you're just like, what the hell is even happening anymore? I mean, we're off, we're off way off tangent, but like, Robin Hood Men in Tights is more offensive, like actually offensive. Yes, and one hundred percent, and like racist. Then people act like, um, Blazing Saddles is. Yeah. So there's <laughs> yeah, that. It really is. It's it's so fucking is. Um. Uh, but anyways, but yeah, we'll quickly go through stuff I watched recently that I want to talk about. I have a couple. I have a handful. Perfect. Um, I saw Ferrari last night. Michael Mann's back. What? Um, Michael Mann directed Ferrari. Ferrari, okay. I'm, dri- I'm driver. Um, oh, it's incredible feat of a movie. I think. Um, it's been a year of true stories. Uh, sure. for have been like dominating my top ten list, mm-hmm. but I think 
like the shot composure, the lighting, the sound design, the pacing, the editing is just all immaculate in this movie. Um, there's a, there's a funky special effect, uh, that people have been complaining about near the end, but I truly think if you made it more realistic, it would be one of the most upsetting scenes I've seen all year. And I've seen some upsetting things this year. Um, so I'm glad he kind of didn't go full throttle on that in, uh, in a fun pun for Ferrari. But yeah, if you have a chance to see Ferrari, definitely recommend it. Um, I think Ab Driver is great, but I think, um, that Penelope Cruz kind of steals the movie. Um, she is just a quiet time bomb in that movie, and I really, I really appreciate every scene she's in. Yeah, she's. She, I love her as an actress. She's so good. Rewatched Tombstone, and I think that's still one of the best modern westerns ever made. I don't think I've ever seen that. Ooh, maybe we should do a Tombstone episode. I think that would be worth talking about on this at some point. I would talk about. I mean, you know, I'll watch anything. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a. There's a line delivery from uh, Kurt Russell where he says, tell them hell's coming with me. And he's shouting it, right? Mm -hmm. And then hard cut to them in the the sunrise on horseback with guns drawn coming into town. And then cut into a montage of them just murking so many cowboys. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just paced beautifully i think okay um in the more modern stuff that i watched a couple last ones i saw poor things the new yorgos lavamoth movie with emma stone um i think it's very funny i think it's it's all on it's almost entirely on sound stages which is incredible they built like full cities uh felt like kind of old hollywood in that way um it's just a little long-winded at the end um but yeah i thought i thought it was a lot of fun um so the boy in the heron we talked about it i just think it's a really good movie i think everybody needs to kind of see that and sit with it and not just try to piece out every piece of information on it right away sure and then my more controversial thing i loved recently is i saw maestro the new bradley cooper movie um and i think i just i engaged with the movie differently than everybody else did i think it's simple as that there's a lot of the leonard bernstein yeah bernstein is it bernstein Um, i think it's bernstein Okay. But it could be Bernstein. I, I mean, I don't know. Sure. But uh, it's one of those things where people are like, why wasn't this like an actual biopic about his music where Bradley Cooper in many interviews has said, I think that's boring. People can just listen to his music and see him perform to kind of get that insight and read his interviews. Why don't mm-hmm. I focus on the risk relationship and how it mattered? And I don't know. I, I felt like it worked for me. Um, sure. And Well, you could also make the argument that like Immortal Beloved and Amadeus – do that and if you're going to step into that space you kind of have to be different it's definitely no amadeus i think amadeus is kind of a perfect movie but it's this is a really close to perfect movie and it really shows bradley cooper has the chops to keep making kind of these incredible films Mm -hmm. um and then lastly i saw may december that's also on netflix um new todd haynes movie um i think i love todd haynes I think I think you would love this. It's him doing the most melodrama kind of movie, a very funny movie, and him writing a line so hard that it made people question: Is this movie supposed to be a straight comedy or not? Um, it's I I would really like to talk about that movie, probably not for an episode because I think um, 
we would get too much in the weeds with it, but I think it'd be fun just the casual conversation about it. Okay. Um, and, and if we're at the end of the year, this might change by the time this comes out. Um, but I'll probably post it somewhere, but I just want to list really quickly. Top 10 uh, movies of 2023 for me. Okay. Fast. Um, I have five. So yeah. You want to go first then? Sure. Um, my number one is Barbie. Uh, my number two is hidden blade. Um, my number three is Saltburn. Never mind. I have a top three. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, I mean, clearly I, we didn't plan this, so I didn't. I didn't. Have no, a, no, no, no. It's okay. Time to think about it, but um, number one, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number two, yeah, Asteroid City. Asteroid City would also be a good podcast episode. Um, number three, Anatomy of a Fall. Um, number four, Past Lives. Number five, Oppenheimer. Number six, How Do We Know? Uh, How Do You Live? Or The Boy in the Hair in the New Miyazaki movie. Um, number seven, Maestro. Number eight, Ferrari. Number nine, Passages. And number ten, The Holdover, which, which is now streaming on Peacock. Paul Giamatti nice. is pretty fantastic, and I kind of hope he gets at least a good nomination for Best Actor. Yeah. Um, runners up: Poor Things, Barbie, The Killer, Godzilla minus one, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. I might actually move Priscilla higher on this list because I think my buddy Zach has been has been absolutely raving about um godzilla minus one that's so good i think i think honestly it's been an incredible year for movies i have 57 movies on my watch like this year released this year watch list and i don't think they truly start getting bad like all like unbearably kind of rough until like 50 i think i enjoyed the the top 49 that's wild that's awesome and then it gets kind of like mixed in the last seven yeah, you're so. just kind of like, well, I saw these. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, yep, there's that. It's been a strong year. I'm excited for next year. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, I'm uh, tr- real I'm quick. trying to get into. I'm trying to get into a rhythm where I'm watching more new things, but you know, it's, it's we started the podcasting year watching The Apartment. Um, I saw it in theaters for the first time this month, and it was the 4K restoration, and it looked so good oh you saw the apartment yeah in oh that's awesome in theaters it was very nice to see in the theaters <sighs> i love that movie yeah i'm so glad we started the, the year with that movie and i kind of ended it with it yeah well uh matthew where can people find you on the internet you can find me uh i guess two places um instagram at infinite underscore rewind and blue sky at infinite dash rewind dot whatever they have at the end of that look for infinite dash rewind you'll find me um my profile picture is the debut album by can called monster movie so that helps you at all um more often than not i'm just just posting not really on i post a lot about music on blue sky um because lately it's been hard to watch movies but i did post that i didn't find oppenheimer very good and i did get some flack for that but you know not everybody, everybody loves everything their own opinion on movies yeah it doesn't I'm, I'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying what I, i'm just saying how I no but it's how you feel mm-hmm. i think we both agreed oppenheimer is an objectively good movie but if oh, you don't 100%. vibe with it you don't vibe with it 
Yeah, yeah. It's like so is. I don't know. Pick it. Pick a. Pick another good movie that I've not vibed with that I can't think of right right now. I I've definitely we've had movies on this podcast that were objectively good and I did not vibe with them. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's why we keep doing it. But yep. uh, that's, that's where you can find. That's where you can find me. Where can we find you, Jesse? You can find me, me basically anywhere I want to be found at Sleeper of the Bed. You can find the show basically most places at Free Reeling It. Matthew, where can people or uh, who does our theme music and where can you find them? My buddy Jason does our theme song. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Dead Eye Productions, all one word, uh, D E A D I, the letter I, uh, Productions. And uh, you can also find his music on Spotify. He goes by Dead Eye there. D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. He released an album uh, the first year this show was out called Bloodshed Kingdom. It's very good. It's an instrumental album uh, that sort of straddles the uh, dub and reggae space. Or dub and rocksteady space, I should say. Uh, He was also part of a duo uh, that released their first, that released their only album 10 years ago. In 2013, uh, the group was called the Hope Street Steppers. The album is called Black Lightning. That is one of the best instrumental reggae albums I've ever heard. Uh, Bloodshed Kingdom is also very good. Jason is very talented. And I'm not saying that because he's my best friend. I'm saying that because I mean it. And uh, you should check his stuff out. He's a great father, a great nurse, and a good buddy. And remember, everybody, to your end of the year, New Year's homework is the same as the homework for Matthew. Uh, Watch Little Woman and catch the movie Holdovers on Peacock. Shut up and deal.